And we should be good to go. Okay, uh, will you please call the roll? Trustee Esteem. Here. Trustee Fox. Here. Trustee Obligacion. Not here. Trustee Sign. She, uh, Trustee Obligacion had requested. Oh, she did. I'm so sorry. I knew that. She has an excused absence. And Trustee Sign is here. here. And Trustee Splendorio. Here. Oh, we do have a quorum. Thank you. Okay. And Madam Clerk, do we have any uh, public comment? Let me just double check my email real quick. Sorry, I'm running a little we have no public comment okay so we'll go on to the first item on the agenda there's no article this week so everybody gets a break there <laughs> um but the first item item a is an action item approval of the minutes of october 4th 2023 and i have a uh correction uh, in the attendance, Trustee Splendorio is listed as absent, but then about three inches down in the minutes, he's listed as approving the minutes of the prior meeting. Uh, thank you for catching that. I'll remove him from the motion. So that, that was my correction also. Uh, and you can indicate that I, I had informed the chair that I would have been absent since I was on vacation on October 4th. Thank you. Okay. Um, are there any other uh, additions or corrections for the minutes of October 4th? Okay, uh, can I have a motion from someone please to approve the minutes of October 4th? So, okay, uh, Trustee Esteem has moved approval. We have a second. 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 <laughs> Trustee you. Sign has a second. Trustee Esteem. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Sign. <laughs> Trustee Slendorio. Aye. The motion passes. Thank you. Okay, and we're ready to go on to the next item on the agenda, which is the Chief Financial Officer Report. Uh, Lana, can you let me in? I'm sorry, what? Can you oh, yeah, I'm so sorry. I thought you were in the... There you go. September financial report and uh, I think I'm going to go ahead and start with the regular report rather than the high-level dashboard uh, unless you guys would rather have me go to our new dashboard first does the committee have any preference the report all right so this is where we're at this is what I pulled up first how's that <laughs> okay, so this is the volume highlights. Uh, we uh, are ahead in discharges, which is, is good. We were not ahead in discharges for the entire prior fiscal year. So that means we are serving more 
individuals. Um, our length of stay at 5.7 is below budget. And if you look last year this time, we were at six and a half days. So that's a significant improvement in length of stay and allowing us to increase improve our throughput. Um, our CMI, our case mix index, is below budget, which means we do have less sicker patients, so to speak. Um, our emergency was busy in the month of September. Uh, our trauma cases were really high, 29.6 or 68 cases, that's in and outpatient traumas. Um, driving down that CMI is inpatient surgeries. You can see we're below 16%, but our outpatient elective procedures are up 2.3%. Uh, in our skilled nursing area, the census is above budget. And if you add the bed holds there, um, we are getting paid for those days, so we're doing quite well. Um, I do want to point out that the budget for bed holds, probably we didn't really budget bed holds, so I think I might eliminate that. I think it was uh, based on a trend, but I'm not sure it's helpful when we, we're calling it budget. Um, so the bed holds are a new thing that we are reporting just because it is an indicator of paid days, and sometimes the census doesn't hit budget. But if we've got the days on hold and being paid, then that's the best we could do anyway, right? They're not paid by ourselves, are they? Um, I'm sorry, say that again? We're not the ones paying for the bed No, holds. no, thank you. A bed hold means that um, we had to transfer a patient somewhere and we're holding the bed for them, and we are being paid by whatever insurance they have. And I had a question. Um, on the left, without being seen, we are actually budgeting more than, I mean, we've been 9% sometimes, and so this is 7.6 is still. So this is another one of the stats. I don't think we really should have a budget because we, we've never budgeted for left without being seen. We do typically use the run rate when we develop the budget, which would include this factor somewhere in there. So I think I'll, I'll talk to our FP&A team and um, just eliminate these budgets because um, you know, depending upon the period they pulled it, I mean, I, I don't even know. So I think they're new stats and we're just learning together on how best to reflect them in the report. Um, but I do think it would be interesting to go back and see what our left without being seen has been like for several years, uh, just because the physicians brought this up as it is something that has been going up. And according to this, it looks like it is that we've actually gotten it down. And I know there were some efforts when Huron was here. And so maybe we've improved it, but it would be nice to, to know for sure. And I, I feel like I'm not accurately reflecting what's going on. Thank you. And I think there's that fiscal implication of like when we have folks come here and then leave without seeing how many, how much dollars we lose in that process. So that was really good. I think Dr. Russo might have been uh, tracking some of that Yes, we, we do have that. We uh, For the performance improvement under the BEST initiative, we were tracking that, so we do have all that. We started a new pilot in the and up at the front end triage, um, and the desire is to decrease the left about disease, so we'll see how it works. But so far, I think the staff is pretty jazzed about it. An important part of this conversation also is this step, the medical staff are left in the context of wanting to be staffed adequately, both from a physician and a nursing perspective. And so 
keeping eyes on this so that we know, you know, what, what is the rate? So I think it shouldn't be a budgeted, like you said, but perhaps just even a run rate so that we know that it's still happening and what changes should we be contemplating from a staffing perspective to try to minimize? There, there will always be some level of workflow. workflow. Yeah, well, just to make sure. It strikes me that people are going to walk because they're waiting too long. They're waiting too long because people don't come at an even pace. So it's, I see the challenge of having the staff be there when people are there as opposed to sitting around eating donuts when people aren't there. So that's, that's probably an yes. ongoing challenge. It is. I think that's exactly right. And the other piece of that, of course, is there might be other reasons they don't. But we want to mitigate those. And we certainly don't want it to be because of staff or bottom rights. But if there are other reasons they leave that are beyond our control, so be it. And then moving down to clinic visits, there are telehealth and uh, in-person visits are all above budget. So we had a, a busy month. Uh, and overall, looking at this, although the mix of services are not exactly consistent with budget, we're improving access. More patients got into CS. This next slide is the acute length of stay. Um, this looks at the opportunity. So what this is measuring is our actual length of stay compared to the state regulatory acuity models. And we, a lot of organizations will just compare it to Medicare. We actually use the Medi-Cal for Medi-Cal patients, Medicare for Medicare patients. It does make this um, a little more complex, um, but probably um, technically more accurate, if you will. So um, basically, it's telling us that the slope is still going the wrong direction. We still have opportunity, um, but it is flattened. So that's good news. Here are the financial statements, and we did have a good month. Um, our net income was uh, 2.2 million, so it's 2.8 better than budget, and we are 2.8 better year to date. So this month brought us uh, over budget for the year. So uh, September helped us. I do have the key drivers on this slide, but I'll go through the detail with you. Um, basically, we got the 2022 GPP of 4.8 million in September. Um, we weren't expecting this. Uh, it includes the threshold relief of 10% for COVID, so we don't need to get all of the points that we normally would have gotten to get the full revenue. So here's the detail on the revenue. If you look at gross charges, we are very close to budget. We're missing at 1.2 for the month and 0.1 year to date. So very close to budget. Um, you can see that the inpatient is driving that down. Our inpatient days were down 3.5%. And when the inpatient days go down, there's not an associated physician bill in the hospital either for that day. So that causes the professional fees to be down. Our uh, collection ratio at 18.9 is exactly on budget. Um, we did do the rate increase July 1, and we're waiting to have a big enough sample size to really make any uh, significant adjustment to the uh, uh, collection model. Let's see here. 
Here's the expenses. So our operating expenses are 1.2% over budget uh, for the year 1.8. Uh, so pretty close, uh, especially compared to we were running 10, 12, 14% over last year. Uh, there's three material variances this month, um, physician contract labor, um, and I have a slide with the detail on that. You really need to look at all of the physician expense to really understand what's happening there. So I'll show you that slide in a minute. Uh, materials and supplies are over 1.3 million, and that is coming from implants, uh, including things like tissue, which were needed for all of those traumas that we have. So we're seeing a variance there of almost a million dollars, and the rest of it is in retail pharmacy, and of course retail pharmacy has a profit, right? We have a margin on it. So although it's a negative expense variance, it actually helps our bottom line. And the third uh, variance is in general and administrative. It's over 17.4 and, and uh, 342,000. And that is business insurance. So moving on to labor, overall we were positive, and uh, that doesn't happen, hasn't happened very often. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's really being driven by the benefits and uh, that is due to timing differences with the budget. <clears throat> we do try to spread the budget based on the timing of the previous year. So um, FICA, for instance, starts over in January, and then towards the end of the year, people meet their salary cap and no longer have to pay in for it or all of it. Uh, same with retirement, particularly at Sarah, people meet their, their max salary, so no more contributions need to be made. But for whatever reason, the the... It looks off more than it should be. Um, so I think it's just timing, and, and uh, Grace is taking a look at that for me. So if you look at the um, salary salaries here on the slide, we have a table that explains what these, what these variances are. And salaries and wages are up because there's overtime of 1.1 million over budget. We actually have a positive volume variance, meaning we're using too much registry or more than we had planned registry. So that's offsetting the negative variance a little bit. Um, but what's interesting in this month is our registry, even though um, we are using a higher number of them, the rates have gone down significantly. So a lot of good work is happening trying to get those <coughs> Um, the next slide is on the benefits, and I think I've already kind of covered that because it was one of the key drivers for the positive variance that, that it's timing. And this is the slide that gives you the full picture for the physician expense. So if you look um, here, the total for contracted and employed is a negative uh, 105 for the month, or actually positive for the year. So, and when you look at the biggest negative variance, it is in anesthesia, the top line item there, and it is for both employed and uh, contracted. The other negative variances are in orthopedic, psychiatry, and rehab. But pretty much overall, close to budget. 
This next slide is the quarterly slide that we show our FTEs compared to adjusted patient days, and we go back to FY18. So in FY18, we had about 4,400 FTE, and now we have about 4,900 FTE. So we have increased about 500 FTE, and our adjusted patient days are almost what they used to be in 2018. So we have, you know, we have come back most of them. Next slide is the balance sheet. Just a couple things I want to point out here. Uh, the first is our days in AR. They both went up. They were still not at target, so that's not a good thing. Um, also, the net position there remains negative. Not a surprise. And then our net negative balance turned from a receivable to a payable. Here are the cash collections. And you can see that in September, our cash was low, which drove up the days in AR. We were at 63.3. A couple more, a couple comments I want to make on this slide. Um, you'll notice behavioral health there. And um, we always run behind in billing and collection from the county. It's a very manual process, and we have a lot of checks and balances. It just takes time to collect. So the three payments there all relate to the last fiscal year. In fact, we had 22.7 million on our balance sheet at June 30 that we believe they owed us, and this just about covers it. However, I know that we just did a final invoice for 23 for 8.1 million. So good news there is we should get another payment from the county. Now for fiscal year 24, we, the program has changed. It's now CalAIM, and we're going from a cost-based reimbursement with the county, where we true, you know, we do a reconciliation of costs, to a fee-for-service, pay-as-you-go system under CalAIM. And the rates that we receive from the state are very low. Right now, we estimate it would reduce our contract about $25 million for the year. So we would be going from around 73 million to 48 million. That's not something we can sustain. So the county and AHS have teamed up together to try to get the state to recalculate our rates. What happened is the state went out into a portal that the county you know, submits on our behalf, all the numbers for the county for costs that are their responsibility. So the last one that they had done was back in 2018. And so the state picked that up and we ended up with very low rates. Um, the county is not, or is not willing or can't, whatever, whatever the reason is, because the rest of the community people in, in Alameda haven't submitted their costs. They are not comfortable doing, you know, posting an incomplete data set. So what we did is we took our audited cost report for 21-22, which is what most of the other people use, and we actually provided it to the county, we provided it to the state, and the state is looking at it, which was some of the best news I think all of us got in the last day. Are we going to be paid per diem or per admission? It's, a, uh, it's basically a fee schedule. So there's an inpatient admission rate, like a, like a 
it's a rate per day. And then we also now have to, to pay all, you know, bill all the professional fees as well. And so um, my team, with Mark Amy's help there, are pulling all of the activities because we've built in all these new codes and we're auditing it now. And we're going to uh, put it up against the fee schedule to see what, what this really means. So we're working on that right now. We should have that done soon, maybe within this next month. Um, again, all of this just started on July 1, and the schedules came out like in late May. <laughs> so that means we're going to have to start worrying about denials more, too. Uh, we've always had to worry about denials, so uh, and that's been a big issue because of the manual system. Um, but I think we're doing a lot better. I mean, the county actually is in Epic and seeing what's happening every day, and there's a communication. It's not just in spreadsheets anymore. There's been a lot of improvements made. Does this mean that there's a new uh, documentation burden for staff? So there is, and so we just finished um, working on the EPIC uh, charge capture screens to make it easier for the doctors. Uh, and we're now making sure that we're using them correctly, and that's why we're pulling all the reports of all the utilization and looking at it. And, and we're going to also uh, marry that up with the fee schedule to see what this really means. So, hope it's as automated as possible. We need the county's help. We need. Yeah. We really should have an interface, or you know, maybe we could work a deal where we can bill. You know, right, right now they there's building the state, but um, there has to be a better answer, and they know it too. I mean, they they know too. They're working very hard to get their new system up and going. It's been delayed. It was supposed to go live in July, and now they're saying January. So it's the, a be it's a the billing change still happens July. But the documentation changes January? What's the January part? That's when the county thinks they'll have their new system up and running. So they were on insist. So that is gone. And now they're on, what is it called? Just, just trying to remember. I don't remember the new name. But <laughs> yeah, but Kim's right. They've had a lot of go live issues with it. I'm not preaching to all of them. I just know that they've delayed it. And uh, I heard the January date may even slip uh, at this point. Yeah, but, uh, that's uh, and you know, I we all understand, right? It took us yeah. when we went live with that. It took us a while to get those claims out the door. I mean, it's it's not an easy. It's really difficult to set up these systems. But my concern is cash flow, because I just told you that we got one more check coming, right? And we don't have a, a way to to bill and get more funding. So James has done an interim contract, which is for. $25 million less than last year's contract so that we have a, a, a funding mechanism to get some dollars in the door. But how are we going to do that if we're not even able to submit the utilization? So it's, we're, we're gonna, it's going to be a rocky road, uh, and I think we'll see it in December because we've got that one more check coming for 8.1. Uh, and then I think we're going we're gonna to have to come up with a, some sort of a way to get paid. So that's important what's going on. I was just going to say, the, the contract that we signed, we, we debated about whether or not we should sign knowing that it was you know, roughly $25 million less than what we believe we should be paid, but the alternative was to not have a contract and not be paid anything. And so, you know, we talked about it internally as well as with the county and at the end of the day agreed 
that you know we would sign the contract with the hope that we would get the favorable ruling and then we can get retro for the for the delta so that's kind of where we are today and what the county did do is they they threw in an extra six million which i know does not cover the 25 million dollar shortfall but their their thought was that that six million could help us in the next few months while we get the state to address the problem <clears throat> And with the wage, um, with the kind of fee for service rate, if there is no kind of offset by a fee for performance value based, like incentive, like equipment, you nothing. Not, uh, not with not with this, this change of calendar. I think maybe the state has some thoughts later. But it, it was never their intent to cut behavioral health funding. Um, I know that a lot of the other counties are upset because of the because they used a low inflation factor and over the last few years we've had seven eight percent you know inflation and so everybody's complaining about the new rate but ours is just wrong we were afraid that we would get caught in the in the wash if you will because everybody's complaining about the fact that the increase didn't match inflation and we were afraid that our problem which is much greater than that they just actually used the wrong year's data would get caught up in this larger complaint about the the small increase that was offered and so that's something that we shared with the county and they were very emphatic that they made it clear that this is different this isn't just you know fussing about the fact that we didn't, didn't think it was big enough it was just based on bad data and we did get the email today where they seem to have acknowledged that you know the data was not the correct data set and that they're going to be looking now we'll go back and look at what we do have available, which is I still owe you the answer on, which is the FY22 uh, cost report because John George is part of the Highland Fairmont license. I need to go drill into that cost report to see if they can pick up what they need to get the right rate because it's got to be you know separated, including you know there's the technical and the professional. So anyway, that that I'll respond to you tomorrow. <laughs> so one more invoice, 8.1, and then we've got to go figure out somehow how we can um, pull some money off on that general contract. So then why else did the AR days go up? Well, this is the other, uh, well, this is why the cash was down. Um, we are holding, we were holding our inpatient Medicare claims. Um, we did a 100% audit on them, and we did this as part of the patient status uh, performance improvement initiative. We wanted to analyze the uh, claims and the data to improve our existing processes. It took us two months to do that audit, and we ended up with a $7 million reduction in cash in the month of September. And so this is from Epic. You can see right there the, the decrease in our collections. And you can also see that it rebounded. So we've gotten it done, and you'll see, I can probably show you again next month. <laughs> we'll help. Right. Mark's already thinking ahead. <laughs> so here's the days in AR schedule. Um, we called out the fact that we're below trend on collections for HB. We are actually above for PB, so PB continues to do well. Uh, we also had candidates of billing go up 0.9 almost one day, and that hurts our days in AR2. That goes right to our days. So that was the other reason. And 
Uh, that's an internal, I think we just had uh, some staffing challenges moving people around with trying to get all this work done. But I have some good news on the Medi-Cal fee-for-service claims, the inpatient claims. We were dropping them to paper because the state did an upgrade. And our claims, we had basically a 30 million of denied claims. Uh, and so we we called them up, got a hold of them, started dropping paper, and they started paying, which is good. So we got the collections. Um, but now we have figured it out with the state. We, we're using a different NPI. We are now no longer doing paper claims. Everything is back on time. So, you know, kudos to the team. That was a lot of work uh, with the state getting that fixed. Here is our uh, line of credit. You can see we're below the limit there um, and expect to be all year. Um, the only change here was additional funding that improved our situation. It was GPP and GME. And then here's our table, which just gives us the specifics on what's in that forecast. Uh, there's just a few things that moved. Um, the HPAC amendment, we're paying that in October instead of November. That's the first one. And then the uh, GPP, we had two movements there. Um, we got increases for both GPP 23 and 22. They're about $3 million each. And then we moved the October... 26 million to November because we are, didn't think we would get it. So that's that move. Um, and we had 7.3 in March that now moved to November that we think we'll get this month. So those are the only changes to the projection. Any questions on that? I can pull up the dashboard. Everybody's so quiet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you explain so well as you go. <laughs> I have a question. Yeah. Sorry. On the da dashboard, Kim. In um, this, I you know I, I really appreciate the dashboard. I just but sometimes the green and the red dots throw me a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. So if you look down, like a, just an ex just give me an idea here under profitability. Well. If I live under labor, so total <clears throat> registry, total percentage of, of uh, registry is percentage of total FTEs. So we have it as a red, it's going down. Does that mean it means we have less use of, we're using registry less, right? Yeah, so on the on the registry, the, the target was to, our budget is 4.2% of our FTEs would, would be registry. We're red because we're using more than 4.2. Okay, you're, thank you. You're correct. It is coming down, right? So if you look at that, the trend line back last winter, we were using, you know, more. Right. So okay. We're now we're two coming down. All right. So yeah. So the red dot means we're either at or above our target, but the trend line shows us where we're going. Okay. All right. <clears throat> yeah. The the the. Uh, what we're reporting on the green and red is as of right now, and that's the, the end of the trend line. Okay, all right. That, that, that was really. I just wanted, to, just like I said, the, the correlation between the red and the, and the trend, the, red, the the dots and the and the and the trend line is what I was looking at. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. So I'll, I'll just talk about this, and I'll probably put this in the front 
this is fine. Let's see if I can make this bigger. There we go. Uh, so we added a target. So last time we talked about, wow, we really have no numbers. There's no rudder, right? I don't, I don't know what this means. So I, based on the feedback, we took a shot at it. Um, and so what we did here is we were giving you a number, and I, and I hope it's, uh, this makes sense, and you, you, please, I'm open to any feedback you have. But the adjusted discharge target is an annual target. It's our budgeted discharge. That's 30,003. The adjusted patient days is 326,779. So when I say we're green, I'm saying as of right now, we are scheduled to hit that based on our budget. On the revenue cycle metrics, it's the same thing. It's the, this is where we said we would be. We're either green or red because we're there right now or we're not. So we're at the collection ratio, we're collecting our cash, and we are red right now because our days in AR went up this month. Last month we would have been green. But now we're up to 61 days and our target was 60. Labor, our productivity, uh, we're at 100%. So the organization is managing to the labor standards. Registry, we just talked about that. We're at 4.2% of our total FTEs, which is more than we had budgeted. Um, our total FTEs are red because we have more FTEs than we budgeted. Our cost per FTE is green, even though our overtime is high. So that is, you know, that's that is something that um, we were thinking we, we might want to do a little more of a deep dive in. Our profitability, our cost per adjusted discharge, and cost per day are both green, which is consistent because you look at our financials, we're you know, pretty close to budget, we have a little higher volume. Uh, net income is green. I'm not sure why it's a negative, uh, probably for the year. Our net income for the year is to be a loss of 4.9. That's why. The EBITDA margin, and maybe we should do it as a margin, I don't know, but I love your feedback. Um, our EBITDA margin is uh, supposed to be 2.3, and we're achieving that. Our net negative balance cannot go over 105, we're green. Our net position, we want it to be positive. It's still negative. We're still in a deficit situation as an organization. But even though that's true, we don't have a, a way to get there this year. Correct. Our, if we meet our budget this year, we're still going to be at a roughly the same, uh, about $80 million net negative. So, I mean, long term, yeah, by 2030, we want it to be, or whenever, we'd like it to be zero. But... I mean, we're not looking at that for many years, probably, unless something extraordinary happens. That's so, correct. I, 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 I thought know. we should do it because I think people sometimes forget that we, you know, that we are in a deficit. And so that's kind of why I put it that way. I did think about it. In fact, my whole team did all the math to, you know, figure out what the net position should be if we hit budget. And I looked at it, I, I just think it's misleading. So I don't know, but I'm happy to... Well. Any other thoughts? The committee doesn't seem to have an opinion on it. <laughs> so let's keep it as it is. But we know we're going to be, you know, uh, a lot of us won't be here anymore when that turns green unless something unexpected So if it's, if it's that insensitive, you know, the, the, the data, does it make sense to just remove it? If we're going to just constantly see we're at 
it reminds us. I think, I think it's more as a, as a kind of, because in the other decisions we make, just having this <clears throat> on the front of our radar, that just this is an ongoing pervasive for decades. This is going to be a, bar a barrier for so many things. So, and right. I think it puts everything in context when we make a lot of other decisions. All right, why don't we leave it for right now? But could we put a, a, a line there to show it improving? I could do that. Maybe if that would help. It'd be better if I could do it over like the last uh, uh, four years, and it would be a massive <laughs> yeah. improvement. <laughs> why don't you show it improving? I think that yeah, figure out how to how to show that. And uh, capital. Uh, we've currently spent uh, 4.6 million. We, if we divide the 30.5 into four quarters, we should have spent 7.6. So that's why that's red. We're just a little behind in spending, but better than we've been. And then on the grit, we're going to go through the whole uh, presentation later tonight. So I'll, I'll, I'll stop there. All right. Congratulations. For the fiscal, for this month, well, looks like we're on a, a right. We're going in the right direction, both volume-wise and and expense-wise. So some of the intractable problems are uh, we're tackling them. So great report, thank you. Thank you. And now, Mark Amy will present the long-awaited, <laughs> twice <laughs> twice postponed report on. Information system strategy. No pressure. Thank you, Trustee Fox. And actually, Hyder, you want to come up? And Jaws, if you do as well, it looks like we've got a couple of extra chairs. I want to introduce a couple of my key leaders um, in this, if that's okay. And um, we'll talk through. But um, very quickly as they're walking up, so Hyder is our Vice President of Planning and Execution, runs our EPMO and Governance, which is a lot of what we're going to talk about tonight. And in full transparency, help you build these slides. And then I think you folks might have met at JAWS, but JAWS was our security program. He's our chief information security officer uh, as well. And actually, he's got a contract, I believe, later tonight that needs approval as well. So he's doing double duty here tonight. And then on uh, Zoom, we also have um, Kevin Shorten, who's the vice president of applications, um, and Christine Yang, our chief technology officer, um, out here as well. And both of them are going to speak briefly, especially if we get to uh, if we have time on a couple of items that we have uh, that we'll do here uh, in this. So, um, very quickly to just start, um, I was asked, uh, Trustee Box, to come back and talk a little bit about our IS strategic plan. And so, I want to, of course, start with a slide about the organization's strategic plan. You all have seen that um, in detail, so I won't go through that, um, except to note. A couple of things. One of them is that we work very closely. It's not by accident that I'm sitting next to Jeanette. Uh, we work very closely with Jeanette in the strategic planning process. I uh, sometimes think of Jeanette as some of the brains and Hyder and team as the hands and feet on helping things done, if you were to think about that. So setting direction and then getting it executed is what we're doing now. Team brings there. But uh, the reason I mention this is that IS, we don't have a strategic plan in and of it our, ourselves. And this may be a little bit of a contrarian um, opinion from some CIOs, but it's something I actually feel quite strongly in. We lean into and support the AHS strategic plan. 
And I will say my team was, uh, you know, James and others made sure that we were very actively involved in development of the strategic plan. So we feel a strong uh, sense of ownership with that strategic plan. And, you know, it's, it's our plan as well. But really, I view IS as being a tactic or a set of tools that really helps get the strategic plan accomplished. So we should have our own components. Obviously, we inform the strategic plan. There's times we've talked about that several of these meetings about AI and other things like that. There's times when new technology arises that will inform or influence the strategic plan, but we don't have a separate strategic plan. We do have a roadmap that supports that strategic plan. That's what we're going to talk about in a little bit as we go through, uh, through the uh, slides going forward here. So one other thing, and I'm doing a little bit of, of um, maybe development um, of the material, and then we'll talk specifically about some of the projects that we have. And I actually have some example projects, assuming we have time at the end of this um, uh, period. But I want to talk a little bit also about digital transformation, because that's a lot of what you hear about in our industry today. You know, there's different buzzwords that come through the industry. Digital transformation is a huge one. And frankly, digital transformation means different things to different people. Um, we talk about it. A lot of people, when they talk about digital transformation, are really only talking about the digital front door for the patient or the patient portal sometimes. In my opinion, that's pretty restrictive in what you want to accomplish. So, you know, Kim was just talking about um, RevCycle and billing and things like that. And those are incredibly complicated. And she's absolutely right when she said that we've got through our own growing pains. It's not surprising that the county's going through some of those. It's not surprising that the state made mistakes. Billing for our physicians is a huge barrier right now. And uh, Trustee um, uh, uh, Steve and I like what you said about automating it and making it simple. I wish it was that simple and it'll be a continued iteration. We have projects we're launching right now to try to even simplify more our, um, uh, our billing components. Actually, uh, Felicia has been helping champion a bunch of those uh, components. So it's never an ongoing cycle. But we have digital transformation throughout the um, throughout our. Um, and if you're doing it right, if you kind of think about the circles, so you think you start with your, your strategic plan, you then bring that in, and I look at almost everything we do on a lens of people, process, and tools. We've all heard that before, but it really, and we're going to be talking about those. And as Hyder and I were building the slides, we actually have little keynotes at the bottom of the slide that you can kind of pay attention to when we get to the slides if we think it's largely a people slide or a process slide or a tool slide. And when you think about it, budget is really just kind of another tool. It's, it's, um, it's access to money in order to invest in the organization. But you take that mix of people, process, and tools, and if you do that correctly, that's where digital transformation occurs, not just in one particular area, but across your entire organization. I really like how the picture of the people is connected. <laughs> exactly. So. I don't know about that. <laughs> so, Speaking specifically on the people portion of the slide, too, and I already introduced them, but uh, this is our org structure, and I think it's sometimes helpful because our org structure, um, what is it that they say that, um, 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 that uh, you know, how you structure something uh, you know, uh, drives how, how it's designed. So when you think about this, on one end of this, we have our VP CTO, Christine, who runs all of our technology components uh, in that. That happens to include our cybersecurity, although obviously with JAWS's uh, area goes uh, horizontally across uh, what we do. On the other end of that, you have Kevin Short with all of our applications. Um, very intentionally, we have Hyder in the middle as the linchpin on all of our planning and project work. And then we also have support around informatics, who's a tremendous part of work with Dr. English. She's on PTO, so wasn't able to be here. And Eric, um, who's also not been able to be here. But Dr. Dave on the one end with the 
informatics uh, component of things, and then Eric with our BI reporting piece, and we hear a lot, we talk a lot about that BI reporting piece, especially because that's a lot of what those board members you tend to see under what we're doing. But that gives you a framework of um, what we're doing. Um, total in our department, I think we're at about 188 staff, just to give you a framework of the size of, uh, of the department as well. And to mention a few things here, and again, this is to really, uh, you know, so you understand the work that we have been doing as an organization. And you'll note, I call this organizational awards and accomplishments, not IS awards and accomplishments. Some of them do pertain to IS, but largely these are things that the organization has accomplished um, when I talk about things like um, PIMS and so on. But if you look at this, we actually have 100% of our department now ITIL certified, um, which is a basic framework language that we use amongst ourselves on how we define problems, issues, and really defines our customer service um, piece of what we do. And ITIL is all about delivering value at the end of the day. And value can be defined in different ways, making a physician more efficient in billing, improving a quality component uh, in the clinical areas, et cetera, but it's about delivering value. We also have 100% um, of our department now being Yellow Belt certified, which I'm actually really proud of. And ITIL is kind of a foundational piece, and Yellow Belt is uh, the next step in that. And we're continuing as we hire new people. We're in the class of December, our new people coming in uh, in this area. We're also. Um, Mark, excuse me, what does um, ITIL stand for? Um, information, I was afraid you were going to ask this, uh, Trustee Fox. It's Information Technology Information Library. But nobody ever calls it that. It's kind of like Unix, which has an acronym as well, and I don't know what it stands for, so don't ask me on that. But uh, they just refer to it as ITIL. But it's think of it a little bit in um, in college when you went through and you took that English 101 class. It's you know like learning the basics of how you communicate, where you put the punctuation, it defines what the difference is between a problem and an incident and a service request and things that really help us deliver value but don't necessarily translate out to the bigger organization. Okay. Lean Yellow Belt very much does, and we are on a journey as an organization, actually. Uh, uh, several other leaders are joining us in Lean Yellow Belt um, uh, class coming up, and you know, people like Sherry Johnson, who does our road recycle, she's Lean Black Belt certified as an example, so she's at the highest level you can get in, in that space. And we're actively, you see on the other side, we're actively working towards uh, doing things like Lean uh, green belt for a number of our leaders, uh, especially a number of people in Hyder's area will go uh, on that journey. So I, you know, we've mentioned, actually James has mentioned some of the others. So in the interest of time, I'm going to kind of skip through the rest of these with Chime, Most Wired, Games Level 7, etc. The only one I'm going to mention in specific is the Epic Gold Stars 9. We have an aspirational goal to get to Epic Gold Stars 10, which is as good as you can get. But I will tell you, Epic Gold Stars 9, there are very, very few um, safety net healthcare systems that have achieved that status. And there's only 17% of epic hospitals across the nation that are either at that status or above it. So we're in a very small select uh, group. And it's not about having the technology turned on. It's actually we have to be demonstrating that we're using the technology clinically, revenue cycle-wise, et cetera. And so we'll talk about some of those uh, areas that we do have this turned on uh, as we get further in. And by the way, please interrupt. I'm talking quick because I want to stay on track, but interrupt me if you have uh, any questions. Uh, another point to mention on. Sure. So, um, with, are there like patient uh, related kind of like metrics that show that if you do, like, you get a epic 10 or you're using so much of that, that that's translating into something on the. Absolutely. So the Epic Gold Stars, um, a, a great question. So the Epic Gold Stars measures us across all of the various areas. So it's everything from revenue cycle 
clinical inpatient ambulatory exam. A big component of that is actually like my chart usage, uh, messaging, how quickly we, we respond to messages to patients, all of that stuff goes into it. You have to hit certain metrics in order to get graded basically on that uh, process. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. Um, I could add it, you know, if, if the board's interested, I could come back at a later time and show some of the metrics specific on that. I don't have them in this deck. But we're, we're doing know, though, that this is like a direct correlation yeah. to what, what it is. Absolutely. The areas where we're struggling the most right now, one of them kind of makes sense. One of them is in our academic research world. We're not a huge research organization, so that's an area that we are um, struggling in, although we actually have some plans around some of that component. The other area, and we've done a lot of work on this, um, you know, in partnership, obviously, with operations, but is around actually patient outreach components. So turning on things, Dan Drury presented a while back about turning on text messaging as an example, and that was an important component of this. Continuing to push our MyChart adoption is going to be an important part, opening up online scheduling, which we're in the process of working on right now with Terrence and Felicia and others like that is another piece of that. But those are all things that get measured in, in, in the overall calculation that goes into it. There's, there's actually several hundred things that go into the calculation to get to the gold stars. As you're going through this report, uh, I appreciate if you could highlight if there are any areas that, that you think we're really deficient in, especially compared to uh, the non-government hospitals, you know, in areas where our patients may be uh, missing out on something because we, we're not we're not at the level, let's say, that Sutter or Washington yeah. is or so we get an idea of where we, where yeah, we Sutter, need to Sutter catch Kaiser, um, Transparently, I'm not sure, and this is not, but I, I try to, and James knows this, I try to compare us most of the time to non-safety net hospitals because we want to be comparing ourselves at that. Occasionally, you need to look at, so for example, on our um, patient usage of my chart, we do look at safety net hospitals because we know that we have unique um, challenges in that area compared to you know, a Kaiser who basically can mandate that all of the members must use their portal and we're not in obviously the same situation on that. So yeah, and I'll try to I'll try to do that and provide some, by all means and my leaders here should jump in on that as well. Can I just ask, I mean one of the other things that comes to mind is about language access. We also serve a very diverse population, literacy issues. How many languages is my chart? Translated into right now. Great question. So it's in two um, languages. It's in Spanish, and we do support that. And it's in one version of Chinese. I don't remember if it's Mandarin or um, yeah, I'm not sure which shop. Yeah, but it's in one of those. Um, we do not have that turned on yet, but we're working looking looking to turn that on. Um, the challenge, though, on that is you think, okay, that's good. It doesn't really help you as much as you think because all your lab results are still in English. All of your position notes are still in English, those sorts of things. So it puts the wrapper around the tool in that. But you know, if you think about it kind of logically, to have an automated process for translating the position note, there's a lot of risk that you lose uh, in the translation piece. So while there's certainly some help in navigating the sign-in process, et cetera, you really still would be hard-pressed to use the tool because so much of the content inside would still be in English. But automation would help. All, and sometimes you need a human to make sure that that translation it doesn't exactly. uh, use so not in the full translation but in a review or something mm -hmm. so it still reduces that like, using AI for things yeah. like that you know you, transcribing 
you both are absolutely right. However, I just went to an AI demo and the um, AI um, books are still staying away from being automated um, translation because there is still so much nuance that happens in that that they don't feel it's ready for prime time. So there's there's potential safety uh, errors that we would introduce uh, in that. So you folks are not going to keep me on track for my 20, 30 minutes, Doug. <laughs> okay. One other thing, and I'm not going to go through this slide, I just want to mention, and, and the importance um, here of this slide is there's two halves of this slide. Actually, we normally have it stacked um, on top of each other. The first half of this is really our strategic planning and strategic vetting process. And I know Jeanette has uh, talked with you about that uh, previously. The lower half of this is actually how we take a project in that's coming through that strategic planning process and hire and team vet it, and then we go into execution on it. And the reason I wanted to share this was not because I want you to look at all the lines, but because we have a documented process, and that's huge. And I'm also going to highlight a few places where I think we're ahead. Um, a lot of organizations don't have that. It's um, still chaos. Well, you know, my last organization, we had it, but I don't think anybody in the organization outside of IT understood it or, or carried around a real understanding. And you probably remember this. I mean, it was so complicated. There were so many symbols on the chart. Do our, do our managers and directors understand how the process works? I'm going to defer to Hyder or some of the other managers and so on like that here because you live the process. It comes through your various steering committees and so on. You may not think of all the boxes there when you, you live the process. Does it work for you? Mm -hmm. I think so. Good. Could we improve it? I'm sure we could, trusty Fox, um, to your point. This shows it visually, but we work here. You know, so for example, Alicia is a chair over our clinical strength committee, her and her co-chair that committee. So they have stuff that comes in and there's a box on there that would show where that is and they vet it and goes over to Hyder's area, etc. on that. One of the big things we're working on right now is trying to speed up um, the process, especially on the initial intake process. That's an area that uh, Hyder is you know, very um, intentionally looking at right now. Um, Mark Fresky constantly challenges us to be more nimble high in the process, and um, uh, we, we work on that. And um, I, I wanted to add, I know idea is very modest, but uh, part of like having that equity lens in it, because like when you, and, and Jeanette, you've explained this process so much, because what goes into the pipeline, sometimes it's like, is it something that will benefit us when you're prioritizing? Like, you, you'll get to everything at some time or the other, but are you, or is it like the, like you said, the my charge support or the self, self, um, scheduling, uh, yeah. scheduling, yeah. self scheduling and things like how do we, when it's a patient versus a revenue versus what, like, how are you doing that and who has to wait? Well, Trustee Banerjee, I appreciate you mentioning that because I, and I, should have highlighted it on this slide. We actually have two places in here, both one in the strategic plan and one in our um, in the EPMO, where we actually go through and get the heady. Um, there's a heady um, um, equity tool. Thank you. The heady equity tool. We actually and so I know Jeanette does it. I won't speak to her process, but Hyder reviews that, and that actually then comes to Smart. Every project that he brings to, um, to Smart, it's not him. It's the operational owner, but with Hyder support actually has that equity tool um, filled out um, for the project as well. No, I mean, and Jeanette, you've explained that well. And in the nuance of that, I know that I heard from Dr. Swift of like finding out how in this, um, how to even get into deeper nuance with that. And some of our fellow uh, 
peers in other health systems might be doing something, some things mm -hmm. that are digging, delving into deeper into that decision making process. So that's really good that we are looking outside. Yeah, and it's, it's an evolving process for us, obviously. I think that um, you know, there's many things, whether it's speeding up our processes, whether it's improving revenue cycle, or frankly, whether it's really you know, becoming a fully um, heady embraced process, that it's a constant journey that we're evolving on. And, you know, you're not at the point of I did skip on one quick, very quickly on one slide here on the slide before. So this is our, actually our governance structure here. Um, Mark Trotsky and I co-chair uh, the SMART Committee um, which stands for Strategic Management Action Results Team uh, in that. And then we have a variety of subcommittees. I already mentioned Felicia um, uh, co-chairs one of the subcommittees. But we have a subcommittee for each of the areas um, that we do work in. Two important things. One of them is all of our subcommittees are responsible for helping to vet um, the intake process for the various um, projects that are coming in. The other is, and I'm extremely actually pleased on this, is all of our subcommittees are chaired by operational leaders. So we have an IS partner assigned to every one of these. So Kevin's on some of them, Christine's on others. Um, uh, Hyder is not because he actually does the SMART uh, committee for us. But we have various people on all of these subcommittees, but they're actually shared and operated by operations. And I feel very strongly that you know, what we do project-wise needs to be driven by our operational teams. And so that's, that's a key uh, component. I'll just make a note that um, Mark Kratzky also um, chairs the subcommittee, which um, I had the honor of naming FIPS, which stands for C Facilities, Infrastructure, Biomed, uh, Business Continuity, and Security. But I love the fact that he chairs our FIPS uh, subcommittee. Tried so hard to think of a different acronym. <laughs> <laughs> so um, jumping in, this is where we're going to get into a little bit of the meat of um, what we're doing. There's basically two types of projects that we do in IS. One of them is what I would refer to as our must-do um, projects, and Christine in a second is going to talk about one of those that we just wrapped up. But these are basically projects that we need to do in order to keep the lights on. And so there are things like network refresh, server refresh, storage refresh, those sorts of things. And you can see on almost all of these, we're on an annual basis. And the goal is, for example, on the network, we have roughly a five-year life cycle. A few of our things will go up to seven years. But the concept is that we should be uh, replacing about 20% of our network every year uh, in that. Same thing with our servers. Um, our desktops are on a four-year uh, life cycle. So we should be replacing a quarter of our desktops every year. Um, candidly, when I started here, that wasn't happening. And we had, it's referred to as technical debt. We had a huge technical debt um, in our organization, and we are still digging ourselves out of that. And frankly, we've had um, a, several downtimes uh, because of that, and that puts patient safety at risk. Um, we're in a major network refresh at Alameda Hospital this year because that's where we had a couple of downtimes. We have a major Wi-Fi um, um, uh, upgrade that needs to happen. And so, the trustee Fox, if you're to ask, we are probably still behind some organizations like a Sutter or a Kaiser on some of that technical debt. Although occasionally you get into these organizations, and I worked with UCSD and Stanford uh, uh, before, and you sometimes find that they have some of the same challenges as us. So I'm not saying that we're significantly behind, but the fact that we have a standard refresh project um, plan and that that gets funded first is a huge step ahead of a lot of organizations. But we're still digging ourselves out of uh, some technical debt ourselves. Our, 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 Telephone system is an example of that. We have a project on that, and um, a trustee Banerjee talked about patient experience. That is going to make a huge difference in patient.
patient experience. You know, having modern things like telling the patient how long their hold time is going to be, giving them the ability to hold um, and get a call back, um, you know, holding their place in line, just having to stay on the phone. You know, the stuff that you'd expect from if you called United or Amazon or whatever like that. So those are the sorts of things that we're uh, working on in the refresh area. The other area is around our high priority um, strategic projects. And um, Hydra will talk here in a, in a second on, on a, some examples of where we have uh, that. But those are basically the projects that come through our pipeline. We have a, and I'm going to show it to you here in a second, but we do have a four-year um, pipeline on those. Um, we're actually in the process of building up the fifth year right now. We don't go beyond that because, honestly, the technology world changes so quickly it's hard to know. You know, I think I shared with you last time, I wasn't expecting AI to catch on as quickly as it has. So, you know, it's constantly, the next two, three years, we're pretty concrete on after that, it becomes a little bit more of a guessing game on, on where the technology is. So on the refresh projects, you can see our spend um, up over the next um, few years here and where we see the money going um, in the particular areas. I obviously won't bore you with uh, any of that, but Christine, if you don't mind talking a little bit about the data center project and what we just, this is a project we literally just completed, but it's an example where our money went um, over the last 18 months. Uh, thank you, Mark. Uh, good evening. Uh, I'm Christine Yang, Chief Technology Officer. So first of all, uh, Mark just mentioned, I want to thank the board and the executive team for your support to establish the infrastructure and biomed refresh program. So this investment enables AHS to stay current with technologies and then be prepared for an expected but critical project, like the one the data center migration I wanted to talk a little bit. So in September, 2022, we were notified by the vendor that we need to vacate and migrate our, all our applications, including Epic and the infrastructure and less than a year where it normally takes two and three years. So on September 30th of this year, we successfully migrated uh, to Las Vegas data center and then here's some of the key accomplishments I wanted to share, that this project was on time and on budget. We're using those refresh dollars here uh, listed. And then we improved the bandwidth and the throughput 10 times from the previous data center. And we updated technology for all layers in the data center, including the Epic connectivities. Um, there was zero unplanned application downtime for the whole migration. Um, we are now in the state-of-art top-tier data center in the nation, uh, that, that top-tier, uh, and then geographically separated from the Bay Area for better disaster recovery readiness, which is one of the strategic um, program we are working on is a business continuity and data center, uh, data, uh, disaster recovery. So those are the highlights, uh, thank you. Hey, Christine, you told me the number, and I don't remember what it was, how many trips the team had to make out to Las Vegas to get the data center set up. Do you remember that off the top of your head? Yeah, so uh, 48 trips to Las Vegas, like uh, within like four months uh, from the infrastructure team of uh, 11 people. And then it was 25 uh, uh, off hour and overnight uh, changes in order to minimize the patient uh, care interruptions. That was the service, the server. That's the servers in the network, yeah. And and, and let me just say, uh, Trustee Steen, I cannot overstress the complexity of moving an entire data center from one location to another. It is, uh, I grew up on the technical side, it's mind boggling, and, the, and what Christine and her team pulled off in the, you know, the short time they had is nothing short of miraculous. I'm pretty sure some of those guys did not have a single weekend off in months. 
didn't seem like there were any major changes middle of the night sort of thing. So tremendous. And, you know, Trustee Fox, your question, I'd put our data center up against any data center in the nation at this point. We're at state of the art. Uh, as Christine mentioned, it's a tier one data center, multiple levels of fault tolerance to it. And um, the team really went in. And the part of the complexity was we had no documentation with that technical debt. Our old data center was a, was a nightmare, honestly. And now we have a well documented, well defined looking out. And so I'm, I'm really proud of it. You don't have a category here specifically for security, but I sort of assuming that in all of these things, security is a, a keeping up uh, at state of the art and one step ahead of the bad guys, something we build into all of these things. Is that correct? Want to jump into jaws? Yeah, definitely. Uh, security touches all of this, so we're uh, incorporated into every single one of these categories. Thank you. I mean, using a, maybe the Hetty example, you know, Hetty's not a separate thing that's, you know, you got to embed Hetty into your entire organization. Security is the same thing, you need to embed it in. Now, Trustee Fox, I do have a security roadmap because any CIO that doesn't have a security roadmap get run out by a CISO, so I do need that. I do have that uh, there in here in a couple of slides. Congratulations, Christine, to you and your team. Thank to you have done for that with no down, down. Thank you. Thank you, trustees. Within the time frame, an accelerated time frame, just amazing. Thank you. Just one comment. Uh, it, it was a major accomplishment and without interrupting operations, which, you know, is everybody's always everybody's fear, but they, they did it without intention. Yeah, and Christine, again, thank. please tell your team thank you. We are incredibly grateful. Um, jumping to the next slide, this is, I think, maybe what was kind of the impetus for. So I, I, I know Mark, there's Mark, data. can I ask a quick question? Sure. If you, the prior slide, those uh, those expenses, are those, and maybe this is a question for Kim, are those considered part of the CapEx budget or are outside or just in your budget? So it's probably a little of both. <laughs> Um, so, uh, currently, if it's if it's got a useful life more than a year and over uh, fifty thousand, I think ten or fifty, then it's uh, capitalized. Otherwise, it's expense. And right, what you. Mark does and his team is they they actually when they submit their budgets, they actually uh, reflect both buckets for me so that I can make sure it's covered in the budget. Thank you. Yeah, and I mean, to add to that, I mean, Kim and her team, Grace and others, have been great partners in helping us with the capitalization, operating costs, and others uh, in that. As an example, though, to your question, you don't see desktop in here, even though we refresh desktop every four years or 25% a year, which is a significant amount of money. We actually have that in our operating budget, as an example there. Uh, you know, some other things that we have, and we do an epic upgrade twice a year, um, and we basically we do five months of getting ready. We do an epic upgrade. We take a month off. We do five months. We do an epic upgrade. It's literally just this ongoing grind of keeping current with epic, and that's another example. And that's completely operationalized in nature. Uh, but great, great question on that. So here it is, and I, I will not bore you by going through every project on here. And frankly, Hyder and I were talking about this. This doesn't cover um, you know, a lot of what we are doing. Hyder will talk about that more in a second. But this gives you an idea of where we're spending our money this year, where we're planning on spending it next year. Um, Kim obviously needs to keep the checks coming in in order for us to do that. And the finance committee needs to continue to 
uh, invest in us um, in this. And then you, you see FY26 and FY27. You notice 26 and 27 uh, tend to tail off. We have, tend to have a bolus the next year. This is pretty typical as we get into detail planning in the January, February timeframe. We'll start to make some tough decisions on, okay, well, we can't really get that done. We'll slide it out a year. We need something else needs to slide in, that sort of thing, in that process. So you'll see that moving around. In addition to this, though, we have a lot of work that's not represented in this one. So I'd rather, if you could talk for a minute or two yeah. on what we're doing. Thank you, Mark. Good evening, uh, Trustee. So I think what this strategic plan here is what our desired uh, approach is for the next few years, but really focusing on what's currently in flight. Um, there's a wealth of work, efforts, projects that align with both the strategic initiatives and the organizational goals. Um, so if we look at our current projects from a, uh, a volume standpoint, we are supporting right now 44 active efforts, which align with each of our sub-governments as chaired by our, uh, you know, our ELTs. Uh, we focus on improving planning and implementing those efforts to uh, provide alignment with our strategic pillars and our outcomes for our patients and our staff uh, and, and the community. So Community Connect is an example currently that we are focused on supporting that's uh, in flight and being part of examples such as uh, preferred name and pronoun become for ours across the organization. Uh, so that's the flavor of efforts underway. Of 44 projects, we have believe 36 which are on schedule, on track, we're implementing, executing, we're both scrolling them out in the near future. We do have a few that are off track, uh, given schedule uh, challenges, scope realignments, uh, technical requirements to be, you know, so two of those projects. So those are strategic efforts across the organization, but that really doesn't touch upon um, all of the other work which the IS department supports. So for example, right now, our team across the last month, we close out 800 plus service requests, instance, maintenance, operational requirements for the organization across many different areas and different aspects as well. But we also have 342 active efforts in flight from a service request perspective. So our goal is to close out very proactively, you know, address those requirements, address those projects, and you know, keep the organization ticking forward. You know, basic needs that need to get completed from a clinical standpoint, from a consulting standpoint, from a, uh, a data standpoint. So, a lot of work is going into supporting our organization, which this truly doesn't sometimes tell the picture because there's a lot behind the scenes. Uh, so, so, it's a big endeavor. And how would the, uh, the average uh, department manager, let's say the pharmacy director, uh, rate IT in terms of getting getting his or her needs taken care of on a, a glitch in their application, they need a fix, goes in the, the mix with all these 300 projects or whatever. Uh, how satisfied is the management group of getting things done? I think that's a great question. I think we can always improve, um, but we actually survey every um, incident or service request that we close out. We actually send out a survey uh, on it uh, for customer satisfaction. Anytime we, we do it on a three-star basis, um, anytime we don't get three stars, we actually call the um, uh, customer back. And Christine, correct me, I don't remember off the top of my head, I think the last time I looked at it, we were like 2.8 out of three stars um, with our with our feedback. Um, yeah, so we're, we're, would everybody like to have this have us do stuff faster? Absolutely. Anybody at this table will say, yes, I would like you to do stuff faster. So I, I have no doubt that we could, that we 
need to do that, and that's part of the agile work that we're nimble work that we're trying to work on. But um, our customer staff for like our incidents service requests are very uh, very high. We do a stand-up Gemba every week, and one of the things that every manager has to uh, report out is their oldest ticket and what they're doing to get that resolved um, in that um, um, uh, you know, in that place. So, yeah, and Mark, if I, I can address some kind of the tactics around uh, the question. Um, uh, good evening, everyone. Kevin Short, Vice President of Application. So we do have work groups that address kind of the day-to-day -day if there are issues that do get escalated. Uh, we do have a team that can pivot and address those issues. So we do allocate appropriate capacity to address projects, service requests, and, and then bug fixes. Um, so we're not holding up kind of more reactive opportunities, but finding a blend of balancing the reactive with more of the proactive planning that we have going on. Thank Kevin, you for that. Thanks, yeah. And, and Kevin, correct me if I'm wrong, but your team or across the, uh, the organization, Heather, you might know as well, but we're about 40% project and service request focused, if I remember correctly. Correct. And then about 60% goes into, uh, into um, um, uh, basically the um, time, PTO time, uh, which is you know, a chunk, uh, operational components, incidents, which you'll break fix, um, maintenance and operations. Thank you. Yeah, we, 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 we average mark about 45 to 50% on new stuff, being project service requests, which equate to enhancements and op optimization. So we're really pushing the envelope on leveraging the technology to help the organization uh, perform uh, and uh, in many different ways. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. And, and I'd forgotten that we had crept up on that. Now, we've been watching that number. So industry best practice is generally about 40% of your time to, to that. So the fact that we're pumped up past that point, I'm actually really pleased about it. And, you know, that's a lot of hard work between all of these folks on here. But, you know, really trying to minimize how much broken stuff you're dealing with. And, you know, that's getting out of that technical debt in a lot of times. And, you know, how, how are you advancing the organization? All right, let's move on. Okay, I'm not, okay. Ten minutes to go. I'm going to just blast through the um, uh, security roadmap, except to say that JAWS is embedded in everything we do, and if there's obviously any questions on that, but I think the important takeaway here is we do have a security roadmap. If you look at where we came four years ago, we didn't even have strong passwords in our organization today. I, I think at JAWS will always say there's places um, where we can improve, and I don't want to jinx us by saying we're great because we'll immediately get hacked, but I think we're running the state-of-the-art program, and I, would, I give all of the credit to the JAWS and the team of people he's recruited because that was a team of zero uh, four years ago. So do we have then, if somebody comes along and basically encrypts our data so that we can't read it, we have it somewhere else? So, um, that's a disaster. Is that like a ransomware? Yeah, so that's disaster recovery, uh, which is the 2025 right. uh, project. But we currently, and this is one of the contracts that we talked about earlier today, we have a tool that protects us from ransomware, in which we've had uh, two known ransomware attacks that were blocked by this tool. We also have backups, and I have full backups, incremental backups, and everything. So we have multiple copies of each system. <clears throat> So the board can sleep. 
Yes, and, 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 and but Mark, you can't sleep. <laughs> well, the reason I sleep is because the Jaws doesn't sleep. So, <laughs> so, um, I'm going to leave you with this slide. Unless you want, I've got three example projects that you know, trust me, Fox. I'm happy to jump into and talk in more detail. Maybe the one I'd like to talk about most will be healthcare, our, our, our Community Connect program. But um, but if we don't have time, I'll defer on that. What I want to leave you with is the um, we do align everything we do to our strategic pillars and so this you know hopefully comes full suite we start with the strategic plan we have all the activities we bring them in we're executing to them hiders you know closely partnered with Jeanette and at the end of the day all of those things um, align back to the strategic plan so let's hear about community okay and um, Kevin you're gonna have to help me out a little bit on this with some of the details on this and in fact Kevin you've really been the one driving the operations do you want to just talk for a, a minute about our vision and where we're going and then the uh, uh, community connect itself yeah yeah that'd be great um uh, thanks everyone um so with our community connect uh, uh, as we I, I think presented here before is the focus is on the patient and, and on also the community of alameda county so what we've done is develop this program to to help extend our epic platform uh to uh the county resources where uh, appropriate uh, with the first one being uh, healthcare for the homeless. Uh, so um, right now the project kicked off a few weeks ago. Uh, we, we had many months of contracting and worked on um, a tremendous effort to get the uh, to get the verbiage in place, but uh, exciting that we kicked off just a, uh, a few weeks ago. And so right now uh, everything is on target for a uh, February go live. And for the healthcare for the homeless, they have about 20 staff, two physicians, and they sit kind of similar to our mobile van where they go out to the community uh, and provide services to the homeless encampments in other areas. So, so right now we're moving and having really good progress uh, regarding the engagement. The partnership has been awesome, uh, really um, building that relationship uh, with uh, the one service provided by the county with hoping with an extension into other areas of the county. But, um, but the process has been, has worked out really well, project moving forward um, and a uh, great opportunity for the county and, and the relationship that we're building uh, with the, uh, the county overall. Thank you for that. I think something the board is all interested, are all interested in is how are we making sure we reach everybody out there who really needs care uh, whether they're on the internet or wherever they are, but that we're getting to the people that, so that they can come to us and get the care they need. Well, and let me uh, maybe pile on. Yeah, Kevin, first of all, thanks. Let me pile on a little bit to what Kevin just shared. Unfortunately, my laptop battery just died. I wasn't uh, not a, so supposed to have to be a CIO, but um, anyway, I'll just talk to you and if that's okay instead of trying to get it back up. Thanks. Um, but, um, you know, we're, we're really um, approaching um, a number of different places. Our, our overall vision would be to have one EMR across the county for, obviously, there's always going to be pockets of this. There's going to be Kaiser out there. There's going to be Sutter. There's going to be UCSF, et cetera. But for the population we serve, we feel that we could do a game-changing event to have one EMR. And so, you know, as, as Kevin shared, we're actively in discussions with uh, Santa Rita Jail on this. And... Uh, you know, the vision really is that you have this person who's potentially in a homeless encampment and they're being seen by healthcare for the homeless. And then when they show up in our ED today, we have no idea what healthcare for the homeless did. Well, very soon, we'll know exactly what they've been doing, what medications they're on, 
what they might be treated for, if they're diabetic, whatever it is that's being dealt with. But we still have these big black holes in what we're doing. So if they, if they get admitted into Santa Rita Jail, today Santa Rita Jail has no idea what we did. And we have no idea if they get admitted back, they need surgery, or they have some sort of, they're in it, they're, you know, you know, they get beat up in prison, whatever happens, you know, and they end up in our ED. Again, we have, again, no idea what's going on um, there. So there's this huge disconnect. So Santa Rita Jail has been extremely open um, to this. You know, obviously, finances are always a challenge. And Kevin, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's about $13 million to implement EPIC for them. Uh, uh, in this. Roughly half of that is labor, the other half of that is either epic licensing or third party licensing, either uh, those sorts of things that go into that. So it's a, you know, it's a significant investment for them to do that, but we really feel that there's a tremendous change there. The other areas, um, I think you're all as a board aware of you know, the work that's being done in St. Rose. We did provide a proposal to St. Rose um, because it's another black hole. If, if uh, the person from uh, our organization or from the healthcare for the homeless or wherever, goes to St. Rose, we have no idea what happens care-wise there and vice versa. And um, I, I will share with us, St. Rose, even though some of these numbers seem fairly big, we ran um, the numbers on what it would cost us to implement for St. Rose, and then we ran the numbers. St. Rose is not large enough to contract directly with Epic, Epic just simply won't sell on a license to Epic. Um, but we ran the numbers assuming they could. In order to implement, and these were Epic numbers, in order to implement this, it was almost twice the cost of us going in partnership with them and we were about 25% of the cost on an ongoing maintenance basis compared to them going with them. So there's obviously not only each patient care um, uh, components to driving this within mm -hmm. our county, there's also um, you know, huge cost savings. So the other ones we're um, still very interested in is Alameda County Behavioral Health. Um, right now, the um, ACBH has indicated that they're not interested in pursuing a partnership with us. They're going to go off to RFP in the January, February timeframe. So there's more to come on that um, piece. And then the other one, just a very small component, is there is a um, recipe for health um, component that we could actually house um, in Epic. It's, it's a very small program, so I don't want to oversell it, but it's kind of a cool concept where a doctor could actually write a prescription for food that would go to a food bank um, for, um, for somebody. And so it's, it's a, I think it's going to be more the future of healthcare that we see. I'd love to see that bundled in with the countywide initiative, not the DMR. So, I'm glad that we have a chance to talk about this because if I had an appeal to this board, this is an area where I think we could really do dramatic ground-changing work for Alameda County to change the experience of our patients. And you know, I want you to all think just, you know, how difficult it is for you personally to go from system to system. And your people they have a lot of resources, you have your smartphone, you have your records, you know what's going on. And then if you take that to our most underserved and underprivileged uh, people that might be subject to substance abuse or mental health or just not have access to the technology or whatever it is, and we're expecting them, you know, the picture there shows them at the center. Well, we're actually putting the various healthcare systems right now in the center. And we're making our patients run around to all of those areas and we really want to change that paradigm. Yeah, I mean, I've had a patient lost between San Francisco and Highland and, yeah. and John Mueller yeah. um, recently. When you mention the jail, the jail doesn't provide health care to the county. So who would be covering the cost? Is that something that we're providing? Is that something that the private... No, so good, good question. So the jail right now, and, and by the way, I'm learning about jail billing and costs. And so it's, it's been a whole learning now for me. So, and food, right? And yeah, food. yes. <laughs> so, so the jail right now contracts with another company, um, Wellhome. Yeah, um, Wellhome, thank you. 
uh, for those services, which includes an EMR in that piece of it. Um, but we've looked at the EMR and, and candidly, it's, it's, it's pretty poor. So, you know, the county does subsidize or it does do funding components, and I don't know exactly how those work with the jail. One of the things we're interested in, and I don't think this would offset the costs, but it'd be one of these. Right now, the jail doesn't have really the ability to get um, um, uh, inmates onto some of the uh, um, various subsidy things and Medi-Cal and other things like that that they could be, if not while in actually jail, but they could be released. And, you know, that the story that I hear over and over again is where a, you know, a, an ex-inmate is you know, basically let go and they're given a bag of pills and said, you know, good luck. And they don't know necessarily what medications are on, how often, where do they get a refill, who's going to be the primary care. I mean, it's, it's honestly a heartbreaking uh, situation. And then we wonder why we have the problems we do with people getting back into our jail system. I mean, it's, it's, it's a heartbreaking A lot situation. of work to do. And this connectivity thing across systems has been going on for 20, 30 years. So who would pay? So that the jail, um, so I was talking with uh, the lieutenant there. They're going to be talking with the county suits um, specifically about the funding process for this. And honestly, I don't know on that, that, that answer. I don't know on that. We are hoping that if they were to come on board, we could start looking at mom and actually some of the building components for it. We're actually going to be doing health care for the homeless building. HCH has never built before for their outpatient services either. And again, the intent is not to take the last $5 away from the homeless person, of course. The intent is to get that homeless person onto a service, whether it's Medi-Cal or something else like that, that will reimburse us uh, the money and bring money into the county. And I'm a big believer, you know, that um, uh, rising tide lifts all ships. So I don't care whether the money goes to HCH or Santa Rita Jail or HS. I just would love to see more healthcare money coming into our county. And and this is such a testament to our role as an anchor institution, and sometimes. It's the spirit behind our strategic plan. I know that when we put that first thing is health is a human right, and that you know it, this is uh, so. Some things might not be in the goal, but like in 2022, you we did not know that these. So being adaptive to the to the emerging needs and to be able to do this uh, is probably some of the I mean most impactful. This is going to impact generations. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Thank you. If Great I, report. I uh, thanks for your patience, Trustee. Let me just just quickly. I just need to acknowledge Mark because early on we talked about Community Connect, and this was something that we hadn't pursued. And so Mark kind of and I talked about the concept and the ethos that we agreed to was we can't subsidize because that's not our role, but we're not going to try to make a profit on this. If we can do this at cost for the others in the county because of the points that you just made then we should do that. And so that's what Mark has taken forward and really been consistent about how we do that. Um, the healthcare for the homeless, that was truly a moonshot because they had already agreed verbally to go with um, Ochin. Ochin, yeah. Yes. And so when we found out, we were given a very tight window of time within which to make our case. And Mark and the team pulled it together and made a great case. And at the end of the day, we were able to secure that um, agreement, which allows us to do the best by the folks in this county. And so kudos to the team and to Mark. Um, and I, I think this is very promising for us. Wonderful. Thank you to the whole senior IT team. I know you guys are rowing extra fast and running the marathon and the sprint at the same time. So I think we're getting it done. So thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you, team.
now, onto the bridge plan. Okay, share my screen. So this is the uh, GRIT, that's our new name for the bridge plan. This is basically the performance improvement items that we're tracking. Some are in the budget, and or parts of them are in the budget, some are not. Um, when we did the budget, we wanted to make sure we weren't too aggressive, because we wanted to be able to achieve it, right? So what does GRIT stand for? It's Growing Responsibility Through Innovation and Teamwork. Right. <laughs> All right. So um, the first items here. Oh, and, and just as a reminder, what we'll do is we'll take we'll bring this report to you four times at the end of each quarter, so we have enough um, time to actually show whether we're making traction or not. A lot of these things, there's a lot of steps to to get to, to start to realize the financial benefit. Like some of these don't start to the third quarter. So um, it's all laid out in this, but I wanted to just to remind everybody how, kind of how this works. So the first item here is the recovery on underpayments for the revenue cycle. So we've identified uh, some active losses and also a lot of claims that weren't paid appropriately. Uh, so we've kind of listed them out here, the ones that we thought that we had the best chance to collect on. And we've, uh, we had our first mediation, and we walked away with $1.1 million. We did have to pay attorney fees, so the net was seven hundred forty-two, and that just happened last month. We were supposed to have our next one with Blue Shield on November 13th, and they canceled on us because their, um, their counsel quit. So we're going to have to reschedule that one. But um, we didn't think we'd get these until quarter three, so we're actually ahead of target, and um, we're looking forward to these mediations and, and really trying to be paid fairly for our claims. The second item is charge capture. That is a process where we hired a consultant to work with my revenue integrity team, and they're going around to every single area that provides services to patients to make sure they have a process in place that we're reconciling who came in and the charges in fact dropped. It doesn't mean necessarily that we will be charged correctly, but at least for every patient that comes in, there is a bill that drops. So that's what's happening with this. We started this back in about May, and we're actually realizing the 0.2% that we put in the budget. We expect that we will do much more than this, but this is what we built into the budget. So we are green. Third item here is what we're calling patient status. And um, what we're doing here is we're, 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 uh, we're putting the physicians in front of the UM program at the hospitals. So uh, Dr. Pornavani is our, is our executive dyad here and many actions have taken place we didn't expect a benefit until q2 um, a lot of things have happened uh, i don't know i don't want to put you on the spot but you want me to read through them or do you no, want to we, we are launching conservation services 
um, set of horrors uh, next week. And that, um, after you know, so many years of moving in, in this direction, um, the partnership with clinical intelligence in you know, this consulting firm has really been critical to, to get off the ground. Um, and we are first launching with our hospital medicine uh, physicians before then considering in, an, in a future phase um, moving into our ED, but the level of physician engagement here is just very high. Thank you. So we'll measure this by looking at all the short stays, because what we should see is we'll start to build observation, or we will they will actually become inpatient, uh, or we'll get an admin day. So we should be able to, to see some um, you know, positive revenue for those short stay patients. Uh, the next items here are under ambulatory. Um, the first one was to increase the productivity for the newly recruited physicians, excluding ER and hospitalists. So we wanted all of the physicians to get to the 40th percentile of MGMA. So what we did is we took all of the new recruits for 22 and 23, and we put them into a schedule, and we said, okay, we're going to have them improve. 25% from where they are today each quarter and ramped it up through the end of the year. The great news on this, I mean, I know it's yellow here and I didn't want to put yellow <laughs> because look at how close they are. I mean, a lot of, I know there's work being done. Um, Dr. Tornabeni and, and uh, Dr. Mack are our chairs here. Um, so close to achieving it this first quarter. So um, I put yellow. Uh, but it does keep wrapping up, so you know we'll see how things go in the next quarter. What sort of interventions go into this group? Yeah, I, I can speak to that okay. if you want. Yeah, that, that there's actually a group being led by Drs. Usoha and <coughs> um, working very closely with um, uh, Sherry Johnson from RBC of RevCycle, and we brought in. Um, uh, a, a number of groups to, to work with the physicians on um, education, on documentation and, and coding. Um, and those educational efforts are underway. And we have a, a group of us who form um, a oversight committee, so to speak, on which direction we're going to go. Because it's becoming, from a strategic direction, really, on how do we move forward with physician education in a go-forward basis um, so that there's constant updates and really individualized feedback on their documentation. So it's less about having physicians work faster or harder, but it's about the administrative part of the job. Yeah. That and really getting our documentation um, to, to, re the, to reflect the care, the care that is being delivered. That's okay. Yeah. From, and then it also takes the onus of the physicians feeling like, hey, you know, we just have to somehow we work harder. Things are going to be. But also, I'm hoping that if there are other learnings, you're coming out of it so that, you know, what kind of support staff are needed so that physicians are performing at the top of their license and not doing like social workers' jobs or patient navigator or community worker jobs. So, so any, any insights that come from there would also be really helpful for us to, you know, so besides the fiscal uh, aspect of it, the other, other structural shifts. 
Yeah, and you actually heard already some of the work that has developed out of this around the, the kind of back-end IS structural pieces that we're working with also more to even best cycle the change. Thank you. So the next one is another ambulatory uh, improvement. Here what we uh, did is we added 6,153 visits to uh, the budget with the existing cost footprint. The idea being that um, our, the, the work already used in primary care are particularly low. And um, if, uh, if you'll notice when I uh, presented the results for the month, the clinic visits were actually above budget. So that means a lot of specialty areas are seeing nice positive volumes, but we are actually 509 visits behind in primary care. So that's why this is red. And going kind of against what uh, Trustee Banerjee just said, we, we wanted to do this with the same cost footprint. So in our minds, we were thinking when we did this performance improvement that there's something not working right because the physician's um, work RVUs were so low. So they're either not getting credit for the work that they're doing or there's something else going on besides maybe that they didn't have an MA. So um, right or wrong, that's how we decided to measure it. And this one uh, is red for now. The next area here is uh, we're calling it operations. So the first one there is OR utilization. Um, we wanted a 15% improvement, uh, particularly improvement at San Leandro. And at this point, um, we have not achieved it. Um, I put a few comments on the challenges here. Um, we had a delay in moving GYN cases because we didn't have equipment. That's over to San Leandro. Um, also, Dr. DeStefano, DeStefano, I can't even say it. DeStefano. Um, he uh, was injured and not seeing patients, so that negatively impacted us. And then there's still issues with the OR scheduling. So um, we talked with the team there. Uh, they're, they're feeling very challenged. So I'm not, I, I, I don't know if you want to make any comments on, on whether we think we'll be able to turn this. Um. I think as it relates to San Leandro, that's going to get better and better and better. Um, as now that Dr. DeStefano is back, and we've also hired one or two more orthopedic surgeons. So I would expect San Leandro, and, and we moved over OBGYN. Yeah, I was just going to say so some yeah. of the surgeon staffing, I think, will absolutely help us um, with the ortho hires. In gynecology, we've been understaffed. Um, and so, yeah, you know, we're still going to be understaffed in that service for uh, a little while um, as well. We actually have also an additional vascular surgeon that is just starting who was one of our residents and she's back. So um, that, that should also help. We have, we have established block times now mm -hmm. for our surgeons. Um, the, big, the big issue is patient may cancel and or the doctor may cancel for some reason. So, we just we're tracking all that and we're trying to improve as much as we can for that <coughs> but I, I suspect it'll get better and i know that the San Diego team is ready to go yes so. yes 
readiness on that side. Yeah, we've got everything ready from a human resource perspective to handle patients. And this is one of the larger dollar amounts that's driving the fact that we didn't hit our budget. Uh, the supply savings initiative is going very well. Uh, we're green there. And then the number eight there is to implement a process to get reimbursed for implants. So in order to get paid, and a lot of the times you need to give a copy of the invoice. And we have no way between the OR and purchasing to connect those dots to get paid. So what the team decided to do is to set up a manual process. So the first step was to make sure that the OR was charging for the implants so that we could pick it up somewhere, right? And then we have to now figure out a way to go drill into our systems, um, which are not automated yet. We, we haven't yet gotten our invoices into a database where we can mine it. Um, but that's a process, that's a project we are working on now. Um, so they're, they're doing it manually. And we're just going after the big ticket items. And we had a lot of implants this last month that were big ticket items. So this one, um, we put green. We had said we weren't going to have it done to Q3. So I ha don't have a measurement here. Uh, but because of all of the work that's happening, um, we went ahead and set it green. The uh, next item here is uh, registry. Here we are green. There's actually two things going on. There's a rate and a volume variance. So we're using more registry, but at a lower rate. So it's calculating out to be green. The next item is overtime. And as you saw in the presentation, we're quite a bit over on overtime. Uh, and this is a, another one of the big dollar amounts that's driving the uh, negative variance for the grit. Um, we did put the metrics there. So we're currently running at 5%. We had budgeted four, and our baseline was 4.8, so we're even higher than where we were last year. The last item on this is to reduce workers' comp claims. A lot of work is going on with that in the, in the more meetings um, that Mark Kretzky um, runs. We, we've got 19 less cases for the first quarter right now. So um, that's positive. I, I guess there could be a lag in reporting. But um, right now, being 19 below our run rate is positive. I do want to point out, I did change this number here from what was posted. So uh, Ronald will probably need to uh, put this version into the public record. Um, we had an issue where we were working on this. And for some reason, the changes didn't save in SharePoint. So uh, that was one of the, one of the areas that uh, got lost. The next item here is, uh, is the big one. This is the reduction in length of stay. This one um, we've got is yellow. Um, I know that we had 58 more discharges. So for the system, you would think we would be green, right? When we calculate out the net revenue, it, it does not get us to our target. And I believe the reason why that's happening is because we're transferring um, patients to Alameda. And the way our math is working is the, the rate at Alameda is less than Highland. So we're going to go back and drill into this some more, take another look at it. But we are we did actually have, as a system, 58 more discharges than budget for the first quarter. So um, I more to come on this one. 
And also this changed because uh, this was one of the saves that didn't, that didn't uh, it's not that material, but it was, uh, uh, neg it was negative 2612 and we changed it to 2069, so not a big change. Then the last sheet here is the stroke center. We had said that this was going to start in Q3. We put this green because of all the actions. We've hired staff, we're doing the education, and um, uh, working on creating a stroke code policy uh, for transfers, et cetera. So uh, looking good there. And then the final item is the dialysis. Um, we wanted to you have more than one patient uh, receive dialysis to make it more efficient. And my understanding is we've got the room open and it's happening. I just don't have enough uh, of a sample to uh, really calculate the improvement. Um, we did uh, change this to 112. I think it was $1 in the other, in the last step. So again, not a material change, but um, we are green for that. Can I ask one question on Dr. Dr. Bennett? So it says, Currently, strokes are, are you know, are, are being diverted to other hospitals. Are they? What about like Alameda Hospital? You know, our stroke certified space. Are we diverting our patients there and utilizing that transfer? So when when if a, uh, if somebody in the community, um, if EMS is called for a patient in the community saying that there are you know, symptoms of a stroke, that patient. EMS protocols goes to a designated stroke center, which Alameda, of course, is one of them. Um, if a patient arrives at Highland on their own and they have symptoms of a stroke, we care for them here. Um, we are on our way of you know working towards having Highland be a designated stroke center. But in current state, if, if I understand your question, we don't divert patients from Highland to a stroke center. If they arrive here, we care for them. Isn't that like quantitized? I mean, if you have a stroke center within our uh, system, wouldn't they get better in there? Um, so, I can tell you most, if not all, of the protocols around stroke and clinical care are practiced in our ED. Mm -hmm. And with the stroke, with the stroke, time is of the essence yeah. uh, because most of them, I don't know, the, the percent of them being a clot versus a bleed is much higher. Transferring is more of a yeah. risk for that. Absolutely. And our neurohospitalists here um, have additional training in stroke care. They're excellent. And, and so that I think getting um, stroke certification for Highland will just be officially recognizing the quality of the care that we provide here for patients who present with stroke. And I know, James, when you were CEO, you worked with the EMS to like triage and say, if we get a patient who's a stroke patient, like take them to the right place in the first place, like don't get them here, which where we are bursting at the seams already. So like that too, some education is needed so that we don't, you know, so we point. have an, a stroke center, mm -hmm. we should, you know, really use that. I don't know that we've had a specific conversation with EMS about that, but we've done it in the past, to your point, and we can do it again to make sure that the folks in the rigs know kind of where, the, you know, the stroke centers at Alameda, would, obviously they'll take them where they think they should go, but if possible, they should take them to a designated stroke center. And so we can certainly do some follow-up with County EMS and just make sure that we are. Actually, they do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
all of the EMS, if you're picked up in the field, they will take you to uh, a storm certified center. Yeah, and, and I guess one, I guess my point is to reemphasize that and make sure that we're yeah. saying that and that they are in fact, yeah. Because I remember, to your point, when we were at San Leandro, they were, frankly, making decisions in the field that were inappropriate. They were taking patients, they were going around our facilities until we had the conversation with them and reminded them of what our capabilities were, and it changed the volume. So we can, we can certainly do a little follow-up. We can get some commercially insured patients that way, too. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Any other, any further questions on the... Okay, the next item is item D, which is the contract renewals. And I think rather than having each one presented uh, to us, uh, I'll ask the committee if they have any questions on, on any of these, starting with D1 on the Spotify, uh, that they'd like to have answered in order to have a vote. I don't hear any on D1. Uh, on D2, the VTP holdings. I had a question on that one. Um, I understand that they put the pick lines in, and and if there's a problem with the pick line, and they and they're, they've left, who is that handled by nursing, or by a physician, or what happens? Nursing can manage The docs do as well. But in terms of insertion, then the DPP comes and does the initial insertion. Uh, any questions on D3, Vizient, uh, group purchasing organization? There was a pretty extensive write-up on that, and I think we covered a lot of ground on that one. And fourth is um, the renewal of the uh, UCSF contract for uh, trauma and surgery um, services and coverage, right? Any question on that? Uh, I don't know if, if we might want at some point to have some, maybe a presentation to the board about the relationship and the services of, of UCSF, because I think UCSF uh, plays a pretty significant role in the provision of high-quality services at AHS. And uh, I think this is the first time in my almost three years on the board that I remember any anything that's been brought to the board to talk about the UCSF relationship. Um, at this point, I don't see any possibility or, or desirability of changing that relationship, but uh, it certainly is broad uh, when you consider all the ways that we work with UCSF. So that may be a topic for future future report. Rona, can you that Other than necessarily the financial part of it, but uh, I, I'm just wondering in terms of community relationships, if the folks out there in the community understand uh, that that we have UCSF providing certain very important and high-level services here at at AHS. Well, just a, a short anecdote. Several years ago, before um, the Affordable Care Act, a friend of mine's kid who's a sail maker injured his hand pretty badly. Kid had no insurance. Was worked for a small company. Came here. Was evaluated. Um, needed surgery, and a different physician than the one that had evaluated was going to do the surgery, 
and his mother, who's a friend of mine, was kind of concerned with these doctors over there know what they're doing or something. So I said, well, you know, your son doesn't have insurance, and I know you're not paying for this. And do you really think that they have physicians over there that don't know what they're doing? You know, and this is the point. There is a perception somehow that we're not good, which is ridiculous. I mean, the data shows that that's not the case, but people... There are some people that somehow think, well, it's not as good. Maybe here I just it's not as good as what I'm paying for it or something like that. You know, and that is sad. So I think this is a story people don't know enough. Right. Like the world class people that are doing work here and the incredible things that we're accomplishing. Right. And James yeah. and I just spoke to somebody this morning in the community. We didn't think that we took private insurance. Right. Well, there was a time we had a problem with that. But I mean, we don't have a big advertising budget. You know, when you go to the Warriors game, there's not a big AHS poster, so we're not that. We're on the building. Yes, we are on the Coliseum. But that doesn't really that doesn't really educate the general population of the 1.6 million people in Alameda County, right. whatever the population right. is. What the what we provide here and the quality level of a, a lot of what we provide here. And uh, I want to give a shout out to the UCSF and our AHS folks too, because. We, I mean, surgery and things we have, like, so in the QPSC, the quality, we discuss this a little bit more about, like, which service lines and where our UCSF folks are, and they are fabulous, and our own physicians, HMG and uh, UAPD and AHS, are, like, work so closely together in the delivery of care that sometimes, yeah, that if the quality is maintained through that collaboration. Well, during today, the, oh, I was just going to say, during the chat today, it was great, because during Q&A, one of the staff talked about the fact that she was in the car with her family and heard a commercial for the Alameda Health System, and she never heard us advertising. She said she and her family were kind of cheering, and like in the car, like rah, rah. Because, you had? Yeah, it was an ad, talking about the services that we provide. So, you know, we're, we're doing more to take the our the bushel off of our light, if you will, and let people know, right. you know, we're providing great characters. So that was a neat, neat nice little anecdote today. That's great. Well, there was a comment made during the, the IT presentation that we don't do a lot of research. And I would love to hear about, you know, here we are with UCSF, there's tons of research yeah. they've done, but even within our own system. I think UCSF should give a little bit more credit to Alameda. They, they, they get a lot of NIH grants and they do that and they come to our communities and do a lot of work here yeah. and leave and take the glory over there. And we have internalized oppression where we always look at them and we are doing some amazing groundbreaking work and we don't market it as well as they do. So we should, we should take every opportunity to say like, hey, let this relationship be something that is a little bit more equitable and leave some leave some uh you know uh credit and <coughs> assets and power within our communities when we come in and study them okay can i have a motion to approve these four contract items on the agenda so moved second second okay roll call please Trustees Dean, Aye. Trustee Fox, Aye. Uh, Trustee Stein, Aye. and Trustee Splendoria. Aye. The motion passes. Okay. 
Anything else for the good of the order? Ira, thank you for the uh, amazing contract uh, with uh, you know descriptions. Yes, really, really. <laughs> okay, we are adjourned until 2024. Oh my goodness. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Well done. Thank you. 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 Thank